Hi, I'm David Pelkovitz, and I just want to start by saying that just the fact that you're here tells me that you're teachers who care. The most important population um, that I could think of in terms of, uh, in terms of reaching out to children who need us most is the teachers. Uh, children spend more time um, in, in a school probably than any other place outside of home and during certain parts of the week even more than they do at home. And as a result, you're in a unique position to be able to really make a difference. The norm is for, uh, it be, for it to be very rare for teachers to even know that um, a child is being abused. And this flies against common sense. Common sense would say that just like with an adult, if somebody does anything to harm you, you're automatically going to uh, go to the nearest cop or you're going to yell and scream till uh, justice is, is done against the perpetrator who mugged you or in any other way might have... Uh, um, violated you. Um, in the case of children, there's something called the child abuse accommodation syndrome. What that means is, is that the norm is for children not to say. And that's because abusers are very adept at, at maintaining secrecy. Now, what they focus on right from the beginning is the need for the child to not tell anybody. They threaten them very often. They'll say, if you tell anybody what I've done, they're not going to believe you. I'm a grown-up, you're a kid. They often accompany th this with, with very scary kinds of threats. Uh, to just take examples from my um, uh, experience in situations like this, that they will threaten the child if you tell I'm going to take these pictures I have of you doing dirty, disgusting things, and I'm going to print them in the newspaper. Or I'm going to tell your parents that you started this. Or um, in the case of one uh, child I was working with who was, happened to be going to a Hasidic yeshiva, when he came to my office and started telling me about abuse that he had disclosed to his Rebbe, suddenly he froze. And I found out later it's because it started to rain outside and his molester had told him, if you ever talk about this, I'm going to see to it that the next time it rains, that the rain is going to be an acid rain that's going to, that's going to destroy your face. And literally became totally panicked. Those may feel like extreme cases, but in the hundreds and hundreds of situations of abuse I've worked with over the last 30 years, I don't think I've ever seen a situation of ongoing molestation that didn't include this emphasis on secrecy and the emphasis on threats. And the secret becomes the source of protection. The child feels, look, as long as I don't tell anybody, I'm going to be okay. But it also becomes the source of shame and embarrassment so that they start to blame themselves and they start to develop a whole wall between themselves and the outside world that makes it very, very difficult for them to give words to their pain and to try to reach out to the people who naturally would be expected to help them. The next ingredient that keeps a, a molestation secret is something that we call accommodation. And that's where children gradually become used to what is often a slippery slope of gradually increasing levels of molestation. It's rare for a molester to start full-blown with an act of full-blown 
sexual molestation. They usually start little by little by little. It may be just having the child sit on their lap. It may be tickling them. And then gradually it progresses. Uh, image that flashes through my head in thinking about this accommodation syndrome where you accommodate to this very um, um, strange view of reality and what's acceptable. It's the very first abuse situation that I ever uh, encountered was approximately 30 years ago, a mother um, was referred to me after she was charged with abusing her child by keeping her child tied up to her bed all summer long. And when I sat with her and said, what, what, what were you thinking in treating your child this way? She said, well, my mom did that to me and I turned out okay, didn't I? And it turned out that she had over the years accommodated herself to this very atypical, very bizarre view of the way parents should, should treat their children, and that in turn kept the secret going. And then the final part of this that I wanted to talk about in terms of what maintains secrecy is the finding that very often children are ambivalent about the person who's abusing them. They have a love-hate relationship with them. On the one hand, they're frightened of them, and, and they will do anything to avoid being with them. But on the other hand, very often, abuse has tied into it the abuser sometimes treating the child very nicely. Sometimes there are bribes. Sometimes there's a lot of attention that has nothing to do with the molestation. And a study comes to mind that explains this process, which is called traumatic bonding, where they took three groups of dogs. One group was always treated abusively. The second group was always treated wonderfully. And the third group was sometimes physically abused and sometimes treated nicely. And they found that by far the highest level of loyalty on the part of these dogs were the dogs who were in this on-again, off-again relationship. Sometimes treated nicely, sometimes treated abusively. Because that's the way we are. We don't only bond to others through their love. We sometimes bond also through pain. As a matter of fact, casinos in places like Connecticut, New Jersey, um, or, or Nevada um, have psychologists figuring out the best payoffs on the slot machines. And they find in the research that the best payoffs are intermittent variable reinforcement set schedules, on again, off again. That's the highest, the strongest form of learning and the strongest form of connection. You could keep people going at those slots all night when you have a properly tuned intermittent variable reinforcement schedule. That's what these kids are on when there's an ongoing molestation problem. On again, off again. Sometimes treated well, sometimes treated abusively, and it leads to confusion, and most importantly, it leads to silence. As teachers, you are the ones who can give words to these children. You're the ones that as they feel safe with you, and as you learn through this type of session how to open your eyes to various kinds of indicators, you could be the ones who could take them out of these very powerful sources maintaining the secrecy.